Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Pastors Mel and Kim are some great friends of ours. I do bring you greetings from Minnesota. We had uh, the most snow ever in the month of February this year. And uh, I think I got a picture of my family for proof because um, otherwise they're not that blurry in real life, I promise. But this is what happens when I text a picture. So there, uh, I'm holding our middle child, Kennedy, and uh, in the middle there is our daughter, Madison, seven, nine, and then my wife, Dana, and then our son, Lincoln is five. And uh, we're aware of their presidential names. Uh, we had a dog named Jackson, but he went to doggy heaven two months ago. And uh, we got a big stuffed bear for the kids from Costco, and his name is George Washington. And so we're, we're running out of people we can name them after, though, so we're pretty much done, I think, at that point. And, uh, but it's great to be here. My family's got connections to Pennsylvania. My grandfather, Grandpa Ross, um, led the Teen Challenge in Rarisburg, Pennsylvania a number of years ago. And so uh, one time we were driving through and my dad pulled off and we got to see that. It was also where my uncle Randall, who pastors in Chicago, got hooked on acid and LSD and uh, different things. And uh, I think he spent a year here at IUP as well. So it's just a joy for me to be here with you. But uh, I don't think you came because of like a family, you know, history that I have. You're like, no, I just saw your picture. That's why I didn't come. No, whatever it is, that's fine. Some of you will get that later. Don't worry about it. Um, but I really believe that we've come together tonight for, for a great reason. Yes, to, you know, gather together and worship as a faith family here at Summit. Almost said celebration, but hey, you said I was from Florida, so whatever. Uh, I received that, by the way. I don't know where you feel like prophetic words fall. I received that on the front row. You know, I was like, there is a celebration in Florida. They're a little bigger than us. But um, I'm just excited to be here, but I can't wait. I'll, I'll talk for a few minutes, and then we're going to pray together. When, when I share a little bit of our story, I just think... God can do a whole lot more than I can. So I'll do my best to explain some things that I think he shared. I want to uh, communicate what he's put on my heart. But really, I'm praying that you leave tonight not saying, oh, man, that guy's Little League team was pretty good. Or, wow, he really shared some great things. I just pray you leave tonight encouraged in the Lord. I pray tonight that when you leave, you go, man, it was good to be in the house of God. And, and I just believe the best is yet to come. Amen? Hey, if you're able, would you stand to your feet real quick? I'm just going to read a few scriptures, uh, and then we're going to jump in. You know, if you're not able, that's fine. If you already hate me, that's also fine. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow just the same. So uh, I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 22, just a few verses, um, and then we'll pray, and, and we'll get right into this. The Bible reads like this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. I'm so thankful I'm not in college anymore, and I don't have those tests. Uh, he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, verse 4 said, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. I love this. He says, we will worship and then we will come back to you. I want to talk to you for just a few moments this evening on this subject. We are faith-filled people. Would you pray with me tonight? Father, we thank you for your word, the revelation of your son Jesus, the gift of your Holy Spirit. I ask tonight that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying. Father, I pray that as I'm sharing, it wouldn't necessarily be my words nearly as much as yours. So I pray you'd encourage your people. Holy Spirit, speak to us all, both individually and corporately, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. I uh, would like to mention that if you were to come to Lakeville, Minnesota, we're just about 15 minutes south of the Minneapolis airport, and you came to Celebration Church, I would want you to know up front, unashamedly, we are a faith church. Now, before any of you get up and leave, I saw two of you grab your purse, but I, I want to explain what I mean by that, because personally, I can't imagine 
being like a no faith church. Think about it, right? Like, who wants to go to a church where you come in sick and you have to leave sick? Right? I know some of you are scared when I was like, faith church, they're like, oh, he's one of those guys. I, I am, but not, not like that. <laughs> right? The Bible in Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Goes on to say, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I, I came, and I don't know if you ever pictured yourself like this or not, but I just believe that Summit is a faith church. Four people believe it. That's fine. By the end of the night, I hope at least seven do. You know? I, I told the staff earlier today, you know, by the way, how many Steelers fans in the room do we have? I just need to know who I'm talking to and who I'm praying about. And um, I grew up in Seattle, and I lived in Seattle in 2005, and I know you guys have six football rings, and so you don't remember 2005, but that was the year you beat Seattle, and so I'm just about over my bitterness for that Super Bowl, but here's the deal. Here's how you know celebration in Lakeville, Minnesota is a faith church. Vikings fans still think they have a chance this year. <laughs> they never won one, you know, like, it's just, so anyway, we're a faith church, and I just believe that about you too, though, because I, I don't think you came on a Wednesday night with some dude from out of town that Pastor Mel's like, you know, he's going to wear the Pastor Mel vest. Do you like that? People are like, if you grew a beard, you look just like him. I'm, I appreciate that, you know. But we didn't come tonight just out of routine. Like there's a lot of other things we, we could have done. We came in faith because we really are faith-filled people. We believe the best is yet to come. We believe God can and will heal. He can and will deliver. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here we encounter Abraham and Isaac on this faith journey. Most Christians would probably describe themselves as faith people. I've not interviewed too many, you know, who say they follow Jesus. I'm like, are you a faith person? No. You know, it's like we're saved by grace through faith, so it's really tough to say you follow Jesus if you're not into faith at all. But far too often, I think we're, we're really just filled with gratitude and appreciation rather than faith. We express our faith after we've received what we prayed for, and we're eerily quiet before the miracle happens. We share our gratitude for what God has already done, and we call it faith. <laughs> but faith is required before the miracle, not after. Abraham was filled with faith. His faith produced worship before the miracle ever occurred. Just as a reminder, um, and then I'll give you some notes, and I hope you're taking notes. A recent study showed you're 97% more likely to go to heaven if you take notes on a Wednesday night. It's awesome. It's an awesome study. It's on the internet. You can Google it. Uh, but it's important to remember, worship isn't a list of songs. Worship is a lifestyle. Right? Worship isn't really about singing. Worship is about surrender. All right, number one. I got four points for you, and then we're going to pray again. Faith-filled people. That's what I believe about you. Number one, faith-filled people follow directions without all the details. Faith-filled people follow directions without all the details. Abraham had received the promise of God that he would be the father of many nations way back in chapter 12. Now here we are in chapter 22. But can you imagine receiving that word from the Lord? You know, if you've grown up in church, this story of Abram to Abraham is probably a familiar passage. Maybe you grew up singing, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons was father. Whatever, it's been a while since I sang it, but you weren't helping me anyway, so I'll just stop singing it. But what a word that must have been. I've showed up to so many church services praying for a word like that. Oh, that you would bless me, that I'd be a great nation. <laughs> That's a great word to receive. Your, your descendants will be like the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. Like snowflakes on the ground in Minnesota. 
But then sometime later, God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one that you're pretty sure is going to be part of the fulfillment of the promise I gave you, and kill him. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure the mathematics of the equation of the miracle formula, but God, I'm pretty sure that it's going to require this son for me to be a blessing to all the other generations. I don't know if you knew that. Or not. Has anybody else prayed a prayer and helped God answer it before? I know, I, I've just like prayed prayers, and I gave him three ways that he could answer it in case he was unaware, you know. If I was Abraham, I would have given him another option. I'm sure if he had asked my wife, I know she would have given another option. <laughs> Abraham did have another son, though. Right? Ishmael. Back in Genesis 16, we read of Abraham's wife coming up with a plan to have her husband sleep with her slave servant to have a kid to help God out with the promise of Abraham becoming the father of many nations. Just for the record, you don't have to text this question into 4 to 5888888888. We don't recommend that plan. Just saved you a whole sermon right there, Mel. You know, it's just, is it a good idea to have my husband sleep with my slave servant to have a kid? And the answer is no. Now you have to think of a new question to text in. <laughs> this is in the Bible. She thought it was a good idea. So Abraham, you know, had two sons, but really only one that he loved and one that was the son of promise. So God didn't, didn't want him to weasel off, you know, take your one son, the one you love, just, just to be clear, not the one that you had out of wedlock, not the one that is, you know, uh, that son. Take that son. Now, how many people know if God tells you to kill your only son, you're going to want to know exactly what the plan is? <laughs> right? Take a look at the amount of details God gives Abraham. He said, go to a region and a mountain that I will show you. I'm thinking, I, I can't imagine that Abraham went back and talked this over with Sarah <laughs> It was like, here's the deal. God said, go somewhere over there, and, and you know, then I'll show you and kill him. Now, if Abraham was married to my wife, Abraham was not getting out of the house with that being the plan. Like, Don't judge my wife because she's not here, and you're like, oh, well, she should have prayed hard. Listen, to kill your son without a plan of, like, how it's going to work out. It's one thing to step out. I love obeying when I know how it's going to work out. But that's not faith. Faith-filled people follow directions without all the details. Most of us would be happy to obey God if we knew exactly how everything was going to work out. But God, if God had told Abraham everything, Abraham wouldn't have needed faith, just obedience. Faith-filled people walk by faith and not by sight. In 2015, we were pastoring in North Carolina. It's a warm state. Uh, it is not cold like Minnesota. And, and God called us to go to a cold, snowy region known as Minnesota. I didn't want to go to Minnesota, but he called us to go there. I resisted for a while, had a health problem. Okay, let's call it what it was. On February 22nd, 2015, in our second service on Sunday morning, I had a stroke on the front row during our church service. I was in the ICU for three days, couldn't talk for that first day, couldn't move my left side. And on day three, on Wednesday, February 25th, 2015, God touched my body and later that day, I convinced the hospital to let me leave and I walked out with by and large, no real ill side effects to this day. But I had to say yes to moving to a place that now we know had problems. Would have been nice if God had told me about all those problems before we moved there. As a reminder, friends, I wasn't unemployed before moving to Minnesota. As I told the team this morning, 
I didn't ask for this, God. I was happy in North Carolina. I was fulfilled in North Carolina. I was warm in North Carolina. And he said, hey, you need to go to this region. And if we want to be faith-filled people, we've got to follow directions without all the details. Number two, I just see right out of these verses, now out of verses four and five, faith-filled people speak positive truths in negative times. I know somebody's going to want to send an angry email during this point. Don't send it to me. Um, But here's the deal. It doesn't take faith to speak negatively in negative times. I'm not talking about our country yet. Thought it was quiet earlier. When you're surrounded with bad news, anyone can write the headline of doom and gloom. But faith-filled people are different. Right? We speak positive truths even in negative times. You're not convinced yet. That's okay. That's, that's why I'm still preaching the point. Notice I didn't say you speak your truth. I'm talking about speaking God's eternal truths. Because, friends, there's a lot of times where what we're seeing and what we're experiencing doesn't make sense at all. But faith-filled people speak positive truths even in negative times. Now don't take this the wrong way. God isn't some spiritual vending machine where our faith pulls the lever to get out of our way, to get our own way. Right? Some people have reduced that. Oh, I gave that money and I pushed E7. Now give me my bag of Cheetos. Well, I, I gave some money and God knows what I need and therefore he owes it to me. It's not how it works. God isn't so desperate for our praise that he is forced to bless us. God has enough power to not give us what we want if what we want is contrary to his eternal truth. Sometimes, in order for God to develop us, he can't always delight us. It's really easy to root for your team when you win. A little bit more difficult if you never win. In talking with my kids, if they only get You know, if they always get what they ask for, we don't really know what's inside them until they're told no or not yet. Sometimes, now you can judge me if you want to, but I'm leaving tomorrow. So sometimes I don't give my kids what they ask for just so I can see how they'll respond. Here's, you know what, I might as well just say it. It's fine. I don't know the right form of parenting, you know. It's like, you know, used to be spanking and time out. And so we're trying to cover our bases. So we do both in, you know, our family. Because I don't, I don't know. Studies are always changing. And I want to make sure we're covered, you know. But I wonder what's really inside of us if we're only grateful to God when he gives us what we want? Is that, is that really faith? Or is it being a five-year-old who wanted a Tonka truck and he got it, and oh, you're the best dad? I'm the best dad regardless of the Tonka truck. Okay, maybe not. But spiritually speaking, God is God whether or not we get a pay raise at work or not. Have you ever pulled into a a parking spot at the mall and you get one up front like, oh, God is so good. (laughs) I'll let you in on a secret. He was good whether you parked in the back or the front or you walked or didn't go at all. 
His goodness has nothing to do with the parking spot you got. (laughs) Faith-filled people speak positive truths even in negative times. But these positive truths are not magic words to force God to act on our behalf. They're eternal truths that supersede any temporary situation, whether good or bad. Uh, Let me say it this way. Faith-filled people sound different than doubt-filled people. Right? After a job loss, a a doubter would say, I'm going to lose everything. But a faith-filled person says, I can't wait to see how God will provide. Same event, different words. After a bad doctor's report, right? Doubt says, I'm going to die. But faith says, death only speeds up my eternity to Christ. Same event. It's not like your words change the report. This is not a magic etch-a-sketch, friends. (laughs) But the words that we say in difficult times reveal what's inside of us. You start to talk positively in negative times and people are going to start to wonder what's wrong with you. But every time I have somebody ask me, boy, what's wrong with you? I just let them know, we don't have time to go over everything that's wrong with me. (laughs) But maybe we have time to talk about what's right with me. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm restored to the Father. (laughs) The list of things that are wrong, whoo, there's a lot of them. But if you want to know what's right, it's my relationship with God. You don't design what you go through in this life, but you do decide how you will go through it. At age 21, uh, I was in between my junior and senior year of college at Northwest Bible College, and I'd lost my voice over the summer. We'd done a number of firework stands, and then I did a junior high camp, and it wasn't completely out of the ordinary for me to lose my voice after that, and uh, I lost it for a few weeks, and then it was a year of general counsel, a time when some of us got ministers gathered from around the country, and 2003 was the year we were in Washington, D.C., and I was hospitalized at George Washington University. My throat had swollen shut. They would run tests and diagnosis, uh, hook up IVs. Just to, They couldn't figure out what was going on. I got home to Seattle, was seeing different specialists, and a month into my senior year of Bible college, studying to be in the ministry. I was diagnosed with throat cancer and given six months to live. Of no physical ailment, you know, it's not like, oh, well, you shouldn't smoke. You know, they didn't know. In that moment, it didn't really matter that I come from a long line of pastors didn't matter the size of their church or what even they they believed. It, it became really personal to me. What are the words that I'm going to speak in this tough time that doesn't make sense, that doesn't seem like it's going in the right direction? Maybe you're here and you may not be facing a similar situation as that. But we're all living in a time where if we want to, we could focus on the negative things. But I just believe faith-filled people will speak positive truths, even in negative times. Friends, faith doesn't ignore facts. I just want to be clear about that. Oh, that faith preacher. Faith doesn't ignore facts. It just views those facts in light of eternity. I'm not here to say, oh, I'm sick, but I mean, I don't want to say it. You know, it's not like that's changing whether you were quote-unquote sick or not. But as a follower of Jesus, I'm not going to stay sick forever. There will come a time. I pray it's on this side of eternity. But there will come a time where sickness will have no impact anymore on us. 
I, I was healed in a moment in of October of 2003. I was set free two days before I was going to start chemo miraculously healed by the hand of God. But my grandma battled Alzheimer's for 14 years before she passed away. But I'm telling you, she's more free now than I am. Even in death, we win. So it's incumbent upon faith-filled people to speak positive truths, even in negative times. The author of Hebrews explained, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham knew full well he was on his way to sacrifice his son, but he said, we will worship, and then we'll come back. <laughs> That's a positive truth in a negative time. That's not like, oh, I feel sick, but praise the Lord, I, I'm not. He was on his way to sacrifice his son and said, but you know what? We'll come back because God's got our back. Number three, faith-filled people. This is, you're, you're going to wonder that I really went to Bible college for this, but number three, faith-filled people do stuff. That theologically, homiletically, hermeneutically accurate or not, I don't care. Faith-filled people do stuff. You can make a bumper sticker for that if you want. That's fine. Make a t-shirt. That's, that's how I feel about it. When I look here, look, look at this, verses 6 to 10. I'll, I'll read it to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he carried, uh, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here. Um... But I don't know if you noticed this, Dad. Um, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I know you're my dad, so I'm going to trust you, but I think we're missing one of the key ingredients. Are we roasting marshmallows or sacrificing? Because if it's a sacrifice, we're missing something. Abraham answered, I love this, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then verse 10 says, Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Here's the deal about faith. Far too many Christians have over-internalized their faith to the point that their faith doesn't show anything externally. Far too many Christians have over-internalized their faith to the point their faith no longer shows anything externally. Faith-filled people do stuff. James 2 says, Faith without works is dead or useless. It doesn't say faith, you know, fits good in your emotions. It doesn't say faith is a good theological concept to consider. Faith that doesn't do stuff is dead. It's easy to say I have faith, but it's hard to show that faith by putting obedient action with it. Now I want to be clear, whether or not we're on Facebook or not, this story from the scriptures out of Genesis about Abraham and Isaac is not really about child sacrifice. Maybe that's why Facebook was down today. <laughs> no, don't put that up there. But this story is about faith and obedience. God didn't need Isaac's life. But he wanted Abraham's heart. Faith-filled people do stuff that says, God, I'm willing to give you even what looks like the fulfillment of what I had prayed for and you promised me. Because the one who made the promise means more to me than the promise that I've received. 
Sometimes we, we pray so earnestly, oh God, you know, and, and, and then he gives it to us. And, and if we're not careful, we can worship what he gave us more than him. Boy, I, I remember praying growing up, and I was praying, you know, to find a wife, because Proverbs says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. <laughs> and I, I was praying, and boy, Pastor Mel, I was praying, God, don't come back right now. <clears throat> you know, just after I married, Lord, that's fine. You waited this long, what's another five years? <laughs> no, I was the only one in Christian AG Church praying that. Okay, but anyway, um, that's what I was praying. I was like, Lord, you know, old saints in the church were saying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I'm like, not that quickly, though. You know what I mean? Like, we got to wait. All right, never mind. Um, here's the deal. No one's more nervous about me talking about that than my wife, trust me. Um, faith-filled people turn the gift that we're given from God back into another form of worship instead of that to be worshiped. The gift of my wife is a great thing. I wouldn't be here without her and uh, all of those kind of things. But she's a gift from God, not the God to be worshipped. A gift to be cherished, a gift to be honored, a gift to be taken care of. I almost said spoiled, but, you know, to spoil means go rotten and it's not rotten. So, you know, but we don't worship each other. We worship God. But we got to do stuff. We don't just sit back and wait and, and do nothing. If you want to see what God has promised you from a long way off, right? Ten chapters earlier, Genesis 12, Genesis 12, God said, Abram, I'll make you a, a great guy and all that kind of stuff. Then you've got to obey your way all the way. If you want to see the fulfillment of the promises of God, you've got to obey the whole way. Not just wait till it comes and, oh yeah, here I was the whole time. The Bible says he took the wood and he had Isaac carry it. He carried the fire and the knife. They went on a journey, but I believe it was really a journey of obedience to prove their faith. It wasn't about the donkey ride. It wasn't a Cub Scout camp out. It was a journey of obedience, a faith testing obedience. Today, if this were to happen today, it seems like more people would be just as likely to stall and wait for miraculous provision than they would be to walk in immediate obedience. I mean, at best, people today would have carried the wood and the fire and the knife and got up there and got ready and tied him, but, but they wouldn't have raised the knife to slay Isaac. They probably would have Googled for one more reason of how they messed up the mathematical formula of faith and obedience. Maybe my GPS coordinates were wrong because it doesn't seem like this is how it should go, God, you know. These guys did stuff. They just, they didn't even understand it all, but they just were going. And here's the deal, friends. You must remove the gap between your beliefs and your behavior. Oh, boy, I remember singing the songs. You know, God, I give you my life. I give you everything. I would pray those prayers. I would sing those songs. I believe it. If you want a God, you can have it. And then he asked me, and I'm like, can we pray a little bit longer? That doesn't seem to line up with my preconceived ideas of who you are, God. Maybe I should ask someone else. That's fine. I'm the only one that's prayed that prayer. That's fine. You can stare at me like it's not you. That's fine. But... We all have gaps between our beliefs and our behavior. We've got to narrow that gap. Friends, God works in you, and then he works through you. We've got to do stuff. That's what I love hearing about community partnerships and community involvement, seeing people and, and talking out in the lobby before the service and saying, oh, man, I've been a greeter. Faith-filled people do stuff. I'm always worried about the people who tell me all of what they believe, but they're not doing anything. I talk to people sometimes in our city around the country. They got more titles, and, you know, and I'm like, what do you actually do for the Lord? Like, have you helped your neighbor? When they were snowed in, did you, like, shovel the dry? Did you do anything? Or are you just waiting for your big break? Wow, once, once I'm really recognized, then, you know, I'll be ready. I, you know, 
I just think we ought to work more on being developed than discovered. Faith-filled people do stuff. I know it's not exactly like, you know, run around, do a Jericho march in the room tonight, shout, and, uh, but, but I'm just telling you, faith-filled people do stuff. As theologically and hermeneutically and homiletically bad as it may be, when I look in this text, when I look all throughout the Bible, faith-filled people do stuff. And I think that's a description of this house. I don't know if it's like, you know, the best community branding, you know, marketing. Come to Summit. We do stuff. But I think it ought to be our testimony that people in the community know, hey, they do stuff. They care for the hurting. They care for the widow. They care for the orphan. They care for those who are lonely. They care. They're doing stuff. They're not just talking about faith and religion. They're actively participating in helping others. Faith-filled people do stuff. Abraham and Isaac were walking up one side of the mountain. The ram was walking up the other. Neither party could see the other. (laughs) On-time obedience was pretty important for them. If they had tried to rush up the mountain and short-circuit what God was asking them to do, they could have got there before the provision was there. Timing had to be right. I'm ashamed to admit to you how many times I've prayed prayers and I've told God he's either too slow or too fast. (laughs) Well, God, I don't know if you realize this or not, but it would actually be better if on Thursday... Oh, really? Like God's, oh, thanks for the clarity, Pastor Derek. You know, like I was unaware. <laughs> Immediate obedience, on-time obedience. That's where the miracles happen. Neither party could see each other. The ram was walking up the other. Then he got caught in the thicket. Think about that. The ram, I don't know if he was faith-filled, but he did stuff too. Headbutted a thicket. Not exactly his best idea. <laughs> but he obeyed. Uh, let me say it this way, and I'll get ready to close, which doesn't mean I'm ending, but it makes you feel better. Um, <laughs> Some like, oh, we're going to get to Ruby Tuesdays. No, you're not. Um, faith-filled people do stuff by trusting when you are tested and continuing when you are confused. By trusting when you're tested and continuing when you're confused. I can't tell you how many times in our faith journey over these last almost four years, we've just tried to keep taking obedient steps of faith. My dad told me one time, if you trace your steps back, you'll see that the great thing stopped happening at the last place you told God no. Wherever we just said, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way or maybe more likely in my case, God, I know better. I know we're all too spiritual to say that to him but we've all evaluated his commands at one time or another as like, I don't know that God really meant that. That's why we're doing this whole series called Asking for a Friend. You know what that means? You. I'm pretty famous. I'm like, hey, uh, anybody know a good restaurant asking for a friend? Ask me. You know, Like, hey, if your, your lawnmower runs out of gas, is there a gas delivery service asking for a friend? Who's the type? Me. But it makes us feel better in church to be like, remember growing up, I grew up in church. I'm a church kid. I'm a PK. And, uh, we used to have these things in church called unspoken prayer requests. I don't really understand that because, like, once you spoke it, it wasn't unspoken. And anyway, but we would bring these prayer requests for somebody else. We're like, oh, I got a friend, and, um, yeah, it's like he failed a test, doesn't know how to tell his mom. We're like, there's only one high school kid in the whole group. We know who you're talking about. You know, everybody else is employed. They don't go to school. You know, but... you got to trust when you're tested. you got to continue when you're confused. 
every time we've encountered a difficulty, a struggle, I've got to remind myself, we didn't move to Minnesota because we had it all figured out. We didn't even move to Minnesota because the plan sounded good. Quite honestly, it didn't. But we moved there because he called us. And so if we'll just trust in what we know, we know he called us, and if he called us, he'll equip us. And if he sent us on the journey, then it's his responsibility to help figure it out. Faithful people do stuff. We just keep moving. Fourth and finally, the, the team can actually prepare to come back up because we'll sing in a minute, and I'll, I want to pray uh, for you and with you. Faith-filled people, number four, believe and receive the promises of God. It would have been okay if after you assimilated that into the subconscious of your being, if you would have said amen. But that's, you know, the point of which we've came tonight <laughs> is because we believe faith-filled people believe and receive the promises of God. This is how our text closes for tonight. It says, verses 11 to 14, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. He said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Verse 12, Do not lay a hand on the boy. I don't know if you read the Bible like this, but when I read it, I'm going, uh, God... His hand wasn't the problem, it was the knife. I'm not sure that Isaac was worried about a slap, God. It's pretty much the sharp knife. Look at, but anyway, okay, that's just how I read the Bible. I don't know. I, I imagine Isaac tied up on the altar, you know, bundled up. And, Do not lay a hand on the boy. How about the knife, God? You know, anyway, okay, never mind. Pray for me, okay. He said, Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. It was something about that active obedience that I, I don't know that I can prove this, but I think it proved to Abraham that he feared God more than it proved to God. When I look at my own life, my active steps of obedience have done more to remind me that I'm a child of the king and not really in charge of this whole thing than it has been to remind God he's in charge. Amen. Like, obedience does more for me than God. It's not like God really needs my obedience to carry out his plan. But it's more for me to say, you know what, I'm actually going to believe and receive the promises of God. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. That faith-filled declaration, we will worship and we'll come back, came true. Why? It says right here in verse 14, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Friends, it was in this moment, this moment of active obedience, this faith-filled declaration, this moment of worship that Jehovah Jireh showed up and provided. Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. I don't know about you, but I want to live in that place. I want to live in that place where the Lord provides. I'm not really serious about this, but what if we renamed Indiana? I'm a little thrown off, right? Because it's like a state or a city. I don't know. My best friend from high school just walked in while I was preaching. and I love Summit so much, I'm inviting other people from PA to come to Summit. You know, drove an hour. I love you, Brad. It's good to see you, man. He lives in Washington, Pennsylvania. How many states you guys have around here? <laughs> For a dude who's bad at directions, you're not helping a brother out, you know? 
Are we going to Washington, the state, the city, the capital? Where are we going? But what if we renamed Indiana, the Lord will provide? I don't mean go through the city council meetings and redo the historical facts and figures, but what if people knew from the entire surrounding area and communities, if we can just go there, we know the Lord will provide. What if the sick and the hurting from all over said, if we could just get where the Lord will provide, that's the place I want to live, friends. But I've come to tell you, it's not really a place, it's a posture. Listen, don't get caught up in, well, I've got to drive to this place because that's where my healing's going to be. The secret wasn't in that place on the mountain, it was the posture of Abraham's heart. When God finally got Abraham to say, will you trust me more than the promise I've given you? I want to live in that place where I know he'll be true to his word, where he'll come through, where I can believe and receive the promises of God. God had given Abraham a promise that he would become the father of many nations. He instructed him to go to the region of Moriah to sacrifice his son, his only son of promise. How can the promise be fulfilled by sacrificing the promise? And there's only one way, friends. The Lord will provide. How are we going to accomplish, Pastor Mel, everything you're talking to us about doing? We won't unless the Lord provides. Like, I thought he was a faith preacher. He just told us we won't. I said we won't unless the Lord provides. But I want to tell you, friends, we can all live in that place. There's not like a a population limit to the town of the Lord will provide. The power of God is not like restricted. It's not like, oh, too many people. We can all receive in that place that the Lord will provide. Abraham goes and he sacrifices them and the ram would be provided. It's just, but it was a picture. About 1,500 years later, another son would march up a mountain in that region of Moriah. He would go and he would be sacrificed at a place called Golgotha. Same region, a couple of years apart. A son that needed to be sacrificed for the fulfillment of a promise. Friends, here's why I know that we can all live in that place. We can all live at the place at the foot of the cross that says, whosoever will may come. But on the cross that day, Jesus paid for our sins. He fulfilled every promise. He restored us back to the Father. We can all live in that place. If you want to receive his provision, where do you go? You can just go back to the foot of the cross. We're not going to figure it out on our own, but we don't have to. (laughs) We just go back to that place where the Lord will provide. Faith-filled people believe and receive all the promises of God. I'll say this and we're going to pray. In a moment, we'll have the pastors and prayer team make their way up front. and We're going to pray. Maybe you say, Pastor Derek, there's a need in my life. Maybe you've been given a promise, but you haven't seen the fulfillment. We just want to pray and agree. Maybe you come here like, ah, what's the worst that could happen? What's the best that could happen? What if, what if this is the place where the Lord will provide for you? Remember, it's not like going to be tied to if you stand in this line or that line or you stand in that corner. It's not a place, it's a posture. The Lord could provide right in your seat. You, you, you may in a moment just pray right. It's not a place, it's a posture where the Lord will provide. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says it this way, the promises of God are yes in Christ and the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. I want to unequivocally tell you tonight, if you believe in Jesus, you will receive forgiveness and healing. 
If you believe in Jesus, you will receive provision and restoration. If you believe in Jesus, you will receive every good thing from the Father in heaven. Why? Because he, he did it for Abraham that day. And he did it for us a few years later. When he sacrificed his son, his one and only son, the one he loved, to fulfill the promise to make a way for us. But I pray tonight that you and I would live in that place. Amen? If you're able, would you stand to your feet here tonight? We're just going to pray in a moment. The team's going to lead us in this song. But maybe you're here you say, Pastor Derek, I, if you're going to pray, would you pray for me? I'm going to ask our, our pastors, our prayer team members, they're going to spread out across the front. I'm going to stay up here and pray in a moment. Pastor Todd, they're going to lead us in a song. I, I'm asking that we would make this entire place that place. Whether you want to come forward for prayer, whether you want to stay in your seat and worship, wherever you, I'll say it this way, why don't you worship how you best connect with God? You know, if that's raising your hands or, or kneeling where you are or coming forward for prayer, I just, there, I just felt this conviction this afternoon as I was praying for you. Let's make this place that place. And then for the record, when you go to work tomorrow, let's make that place this place. But for a moment, before we go, we've got just a few minutes as they lead us and the pastors and prayer partners or prayer team make the way. If you have a need in your life, we'd love to pray with you. I'll be here. They'll be here. If you want to step out, we'd love to pray with you. And let's just believe in this moment. We've got a few minutes. We're not in any hurry. My flight's not till tomorrow. Ruby Tuesday can wait. Right, Pastor Mel? I hope. Keep them open. I'm coming. But let's make this place that place. So, Father... Even now, we open our hearts, we open our arms, we open our lives to you. And we ask in this moment that you would invade this place. I pray for those who are hurting, that you would restore. I pray for those that are broken down, that you would bind them up. I pray that those are lonely, you'd set them in families. I pray whatever need they have, I pray that in this place, they would experience that place. May this be the place once again that the Lord does provide. We declare that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So even now we pray in these moments, would you do what only you can do? We say have your way in this place and we declare in faith the Lord will provide in Jesus' name.